Time has come for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and thank you from the bottom of my heart, wherever you are listening to this podcast all over the world. Carmen San Diego's got nothing on my listeners. This is going to be a banner show, episode 103 to be exact. I got George Pinozian, his last podcast as a single guy. He's coming on this show to recap the U.S. Open, Sloan Stevens winning her first major, Rafael Nadal winning his 16th, all that, and some fantasy talk as well. But up first, it's Adam Musto. We work together at the NFL Network in the editorial, video editorial department in 2014. We're going to recap week one in the NFL. Lots of talk about who looked good, who looked bad, and where were we wrong. All that and more. It's the Money Mitch Effect, and the show starts right now. Let's get excited. All right, we had our first week one NFL Sunday of the 2017 season. And as tradition now in the Money Mitch Effect, year two of the podcast, we like to recap the events of wild NFL Sundays. I brought back Adam Musto on the show, former NFL Network co-worker of mine. Adam Musto, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Absolutely. Yeah, great to be back. Thanks for having me. And uh, it's always a great time to have uh, football back. And uh, overreaction, underreaction week is like I like to call week one. Obviously, uh, you know half the teams are going to the Super Bowl, half the teams can prepare for the draft. But no, it's good to uh, kind of get back rolling with uh, regular football now. It certainly is, and you know later in the season, Adam, when we do more of these things, when this program does more of these things, there'll be a lot more previewing, looking ahead also to week two. But we don't know a lot about what these teams are. This, as you said, is an overreaction, underreaction time. I want to spend the majority of this episode discussing what we saw and just kind of analyzing it, breaking down what you know tendencies and trends we saw. Surprising, not so surprising in week one. And, and I want to start with the first game of the season, Adam, because we saw the defending champion, Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots, get pushed around by the Kansas City Chiefs at home. It's the opener. We know the opener isn't always the biggest uh, barometer for how a team's going to do in the season. But the Chiefs won that game in Foxborough 42-27. to And I'll ask you point blank, Adam, what was more surprising to you, that New England got kind of manhandled on the defensive side of the ball, or that Alex Smith looked like Johnny Unitas, if only for a game? <laughs> That's a good question. I didn't really think of it that way. I mean, I guess I'm definitely more surprised about Alex Smith's performance. Obviously, I didn't expect the Chiefs' defense to play as well either, but but you know that they do have some, some stars on that team, and I was very surprised by how they were able to contain Tom Brady, especially down the stretch. But yeah, I did not expect Alex Smith to... Uh, to do what he did. Actually, kind of funny about that, I, I ended up DVR in the game, and I watched it a day later because I was at the uh, Indians-White Sox game, mm-hmm. and uh, I was trying to not know anything that happened, but I ended up going on YouTube, and I saw a video that Alex Smith had thrown four touchdowns, and that kind of surprised me because <laughs> I had watched the first quarter, and you know when the Patriots were rolling kind of in the beginning, and I thought this is how it was going to be. But, yeah, I mean, his performance was just unbelievable. I mean, they have a lot of weapons on on offense, and you know, I guess he is really motivated by the Chiefs drafting Patrick Mahomes, and maybe this will be a sign of things to come for the Chiefs this season. Because we, you know, we knew that they would probably be this, you know, ten, eleven, possibly twelve win team. But the biggest question is, can they compete in prime time in the playoffs against the top teams in the, you know, in the league? And this yeah. was definitely a good showing for them. It was, and like anything, you talk about overreactions and underreactions. I caught most of this game at a Patriots bar out here in Los Angeles, and early in the game, 
everything was gravy for the Pats. They were looking good on offense. They had a turnover, Kareem Hunt's fumble on his first NFL carry, which we'll get to in a second. But, you know, they go deep to Gronk, and that was a play that, like any games in, in sports and in football, it doesn't go their way. It's ruled a touchdown, but he didn't make the catch. They end up going for it and getting stopped. That's a seven-point swing early in the game. And that, I think, kept the Chiefs in it. I, I was shocked that New England didn't look as hot with all the talent that they have, that the Chiefs were able to open it up, but give credit to that that dynamic attack that mixed in passing and running. I think it helps for the Chiefs, by the way, that absolutely nailed the draft, that they're able to stash a quarterback on their bench and, and get a running back in the third round that looks like he could be the bell cow. But it helps having a coach like Andy Reid, Adam, because he's a patient guy. So I think Smith knows in the back of his mind that it's not pressure cooker for me to play absolutely lights out every week. And I think that relaxes him a bit and, I mean, just my intuition there. I think Reed's more patient than most coaches would be given the front office just drafted a quarterback. Yeah, I think it is kind of a unique situation with the the quarterbacks that they have. It's not as much as you see maybe with the Bears with the Trubisky-Glennon, where what happens is a lot of these rebuilding teams that draft young quarterbacks, eventually they need to play the quarterback, the young quarterback because he's going to be the future guy. But, you know, the Chiefs are kind of in this position where they're still, you know, pretty good throughout all sides of the ball. So, they still have a lot of upside by playing Smith and, and making a run in the playoffs. I kind of compare it maybe to what Jay Cutler and Jake Plummer, I believe it was when Cutler was a rookie for the Broncos, where, you know, they still have a chance to be a contender. So um, Alex Smith has definitely proven in his career that, you know, he could be a pretty decent quarterback. So it's not like the Chiefs are just going to tank the season and, you know, throw in Mahomes to see what the future is. They can definitely make a run at this thing for the next couple of years without having to, you know, resort to a rookie quarterback. And having a guy like Kareem Hunt in there definitely helped Smith play as well as he did. Uh, talk about the bounce-back ability, too, Adam. I mean, he fumbles on his first carry as a pro, didn't fumble at all in college. To have the game that he had on the stage that he had, I joke that he you know, he played in the MAC, so he's used to playing on random weeknights uh, at a high level. But he was dominant, no question. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the storyline was unbelievable. Here's a guy that what fumbled once in college, and then his first first fumble, you know, or first touch in the NFL is a fumble. And that stage, that I did not expect to, the Chiefs to be able to turn the, around in Foxborough on the road. You know, all the hype. You got Mark Wahlberg. You got just the environment there is not really conducive to a road team to go in and win at night um, in a primetime game. But they turned it around, and, and yeah, it was really like the storyline was incredible. I mean, you saw him on the sideline. He was really upset. Uh, teammates were trying to calm him down, but he just kind of, you know, kept his chin strap buckled and, and went to work. And, and I think that shows a lot of uh, mental toughness for a rookie to be able to not let it bother him and affect the rest of the game and, and end up playing lights out the rest of the way. Well, I know we're going to move on here to other games. I know it's it's cliche, but it's the Patriots. It's one game they should be fine, especially with that division. I think the bigger sign of things to monitor in the, in the rest of the weeks to come, I, I don't know, Adam, if this Chiefs team will show up consistently this season, but if they do, they have every chance to go all the way. That, that's all I'll say. I mean, this this ceiling is something that I didn't expect, and if they have it, I mean, that's a championship-level team if they're able to hit that ceiling somewhat consistently. Yeah, I mean, obviously New England's going to be there, but other than that, you know, if you're looking at the AFC, I don't know if there's that many teams. You know, the Chiefs can be definitely right up there and have a bye week, maybe be a number two, even a number one seed. You know, there obviously are some pretty solid teams throughout the league. You have Oakland and, and Pittsburgh, but they've obviously struggled with consistency. Or, well, you know, we'll see what happens with Oakland if uh, Derek Carr is able to stay healthy the whole season. But, yeah, the Chiefs will be right up there. I know the, there's a lot of variables in the AFC West uh, with Denver and 
possibly San Diego and obviously Oakland. But but yeah, I think they definitely have the consistency. You know, great coaching and you know a lot of talent at a lot of different positions on the defensive line and the secondary wide receivers running back so tight end so you can keep naming naming those positions and i think they should be pretty solid we'll see what happens for both these teams in week two let's go now add a musto money mitch effect to the sunday night game and it was kind of a snooze fest i'll be completely honest i expected more from this game giants fall to the cowboys by a score of 19 to 3 boy the new york giants Adam, I have pretty high hopes for this team. But what I saw, two two things I saw in this game were that I don't know that there's a non-quarterback more valuable to a team than Odell Beckham Jr. And this line in week one is just not very good. Two of the biggest mm-hmm. takeaways I have. I don't know. Beckham should be back if he's healthy. They can address you know their offensive big playability with him. Just plug him into the lineup and watch what he does. But this line could be a serious issue for Big Blue. Yeah, and you know they've also struggled at you know having consistency at running back over the last year, so that's another factor too. I think that just to be able to set that up, and you definitely saw. That. I mean, they just weren't able to stay on the field, and their their defense was playing really well in the first half, but they're just had were getting super tired and really struggling just to have consistency. And and yeah, I think actually Chris Contra said it on, on the broadcast. It was pretty funny that if Odell Beckham doesn't do anything this week, he should go to his agent and basically say, hey, you know, whatever we're looking for, we should have them double it because you know you saw the product on the field, what it's like without me. So so yeah, I mean, he's just such a obviously you know we've seen what he's done the last three years, but he's just such an explosive playmaker and able to you know make Eli Manning look so much better just you know because you can throw a quick five ten yard pass and he can break it you know for a touchdown. I still think there's some positive signs that the defense still looks pretty good for the Giants that they're able to give Dallas fits week in, week out, it seems. But I don't I know Beckham matters at him, but that line, I mean, Manning didn't play horrible. It wasn't great, but he just didn't have time in a lot of those plays. I saw the stat, I think midway through the third quarter, his completion percentage it was like eighteen for twenty three. But he averaged like five mm-hmm. yards a pop and he just didn't have time to even look downfield. Now I Part of that is guys not getting open and, and the running game still not being there. But, you know, we'll see what happens there. The Cowboys, though, this is going to be an interesting dynamic with what's going to happen with Ezekiel Elliott. We assume he's going to play all season, but you never know if the restraining order will get overturned and his, his suspension goes into account right away. I'll say this, though. For as much as the Giants line looked bad on offense, the Cowboy defense has looked like it's made some steady improvements from a year ago. I think that's going to be the test for this team. Can their defense get to that offense level if they're real Super Bowl contenders? Yeah, you know, I think they uh, obviously have been struggling with a lot of off-the-field issues uh, with their defense, trying to get the right people in place. But yeah, I think the linebacker from, uh, remind me of his name, the linebacker from Notre Dame, you know, coming back from yeah. the ACL injuries. Yeah. yeah, of course, it's great to see him back on the field. And I think that would probably be, you know, the difference maker of what can really propel the Cowboys into being a Super Bowl contender, just to have everything right on the defensive side of the ball. We have Sean Lee in there, too, and I know he gets hurt quite a bit, unfortunately, but he's another player that you can tell he makes things go when he's out there. But here's the last thing I'll say, too, Adam. With the NFC East, and I know the Eagles went into Washington and beat the Redskins in an impressive win, but it's week one, and one game doesn't mean much for this division. It always seems like of all the divisions, this one consistently goes down to week 16 and 17. So it's hard to take a whole lot away from from these two divisional matchups. Yeah, and you know, it is kind of interesting, obviously, that they both, all four teams played each other in the first week. Um, but yeah, a lot can change. And 
yeah, I am sure we'll talk later about the the Eagles Redskins game, but but yeah, that that will definitely be a very competitive division. I think uh, you know even though the Redskins lost, they'll probably be definitely have a chance to compete, and and it might be one that you know maybe at the end of the year it only maybe takes ten, maybe eleven, even nine wins just because maybe those teams are beating up on, on each other throughout the season. Sure and no one's going to run away and you know go fifteen and one or something. <laughs> sure, looks like it's a possibility. Well, from one snooze fest to quite frankly another, I want to talk about the afternoon game, the Fox game of the week. Seahawks and Packers. This one ended up Green Bay seventeen to nine in a game that had its intense moments, but not as much big play uh, playmaking ability as we would have liked. But here's here's how I'll lead off the conversation. And this might seem a little hot takey, but I want to just break it down and, and, and put it forth in, in this way, Adam. Biggest play of the game happened on the first drive when a pick six was nullified when it looked like Rogers threw a pick six to I think the the uh, defensive lineman, I want to say. And it was taken yeah. back because of a questionable block in the back on Rodgers on the run back, and also because of a skirmish that involved Jeremy Lane. The ref said he threw a punch. Didn't look like he threw a punch. Gets ejected for it. It was a, a pretty quick ejection that definitely changed the complexion of the game. But, Adam, I think the bigger picture here with that call and with that tendency is the Seahawks. And I, and I think the way they play, the way that they teeter the line, they you can argue, open themselves up to bigger scrutiny or unfairly have bigger scrutiny on them. But I think that their resume, their track record played into it, right or wrong, and it's a shame because I think that play, whatever would have happened, would have been different. I think it changed the complexity of this game. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge play. Obviously, you know, you still get the interception, but you don't get any points. So, um, and obviously in a low-scoring game like that, that was a huge difference maker. Um, it kind of reminded me a lot of, if you remember, the, the Ravens uh, uh, Giants Super Bowl when you know the Giants get a pick six, I believe, by Jesse Armstead, but it gets nullified on a holding penalty, and that was kind of like the breath of fresh air that they had. But yeah, and it, you know it's tough for when you take seven points off the board, even if you have good field position. There's obviously no guarantee that you're still going to get those seven points back, and that's what happened. Yeah, it was uh, it was frustrating to watch both of these offenses at times. Um, I thought their officials let them play maybe a little too much. But it's the same old thing. Now, these are two teams that we expect to make deep playoff runs just about every year. But for Seattle, Adam, it's the same questions. That offensive line does not look good. Russell Wilson is a playmaking improv artist at times, but I don't know many guys, historically even, I'll say, that could do much with that line. They have to play better or it's going to be the same old story or they're going to get bounced in the playoffs early. Right, yeah, and uh, you know, there's that picture going up going around the internet today of uh, I think there's like you know three uh, Packers defensive linemen running straight at Russell Russell Wilson and they're all ahead of the the four um, Seahawks offensive linemen so yeah I mean he's obviously a magician back there but you know you can't ask him to do everything and you know eventually I think with his playing style that can definitely wear down if you're gonna you know always have to scramble on every single play and, and make so much stuff on your own you know they didn't really get the running game started and uh, and it's definitely something they're gonna have to fix. Yeah, and, and I do want to add to this. This is more of a broader point, but did you notice maybe the most common theme yesterday, Adam, in week one was how bad the offensive line play was across the board? I mean, it was just yeah, brutal I... in a lot of cities, and, and I'm thinking part of it is just not a lot of time to practice, not a lot of time to develop linemen when the collective bar- bargaining agreement took away a lot of contact practices. I, I think there might be something there. Uh, I don't know what your take is, but I just noticed Houston's line looks brutal. The Colts line looked brutal. We look at this game. I mean, it, the list go on and on. 
Yeah, I think it's a good point, definitely, um, about the lack of contact in practice. And, and an offensive line is definitely something that takes a lot of continuity. I know, you know years ago the stat would be, oh, this is the only offensive line in the league that started all five, you know, all five same starters the whole season. I think part of being an offensive lineman is when the snap is about to occur, you kind of look at each other and without having to say anything, you mm-hmm. guys all know, you know the right assignment, what you're going to be executing on the play. And, you know, I, I think maybe another possible thing is obviously you see the quarterback money and now a lot of teams have to put so many other resources into, you know, the quarterback when it comes to that piece of the pie of the salary cap. And, and you know, you can't really build around maybe having a bunch of offensive linemen. That was always the case in the draft where you would see these teams drafting offensive linemen early, you know, Tony Baselli over, you know, a quarterback or, a, you know, a real playmaker on offense. And, and that's kind of what it takes. But it's, it's hard to put all those pieces together when your resources might be limited yeah, it, for whatever reason, I think it was just a common theme. But the Packers get the win against Seattle. It was uh, not their finest effort, but they gutted it out against a very tough team. So they are 1-0 after week one. Money Mitch Effect, Adam Musto. Let's take a dip into uh, your neck of the woods where it was Falcons-Bears. Six-point game, though, Adam, for this Bears team that has had a tumultuous couple years. They're, they look like they're going into full rebuild, but they play the defending NFC champs, and they only lose by six points. 23 to 17. All right, I'll, I'll ask you this straight up. After this game, do you think the Bears are better or worse than you thought they'd be after week one of this season, just by what you saw yesterday? Yeah, I think um, I would definitely say better. You know, playing the NFC champs, you know, I expected it to possibly be a two or three touchdown game. I think the biggest takeaway is on that last drive, you really saw the difference between. Mike Lennon versus Jay Cutler because I guarantee if Jay Cutler had been that quarterback with, you know, he probably could have been intercepted five times over. So, you know, at the end of the day, you still get the same result. You still lose. And, you know, I'm a big proponent that there aren't any moral victories in the NFL anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the bears have been close a lot over the last couple of years, but you know, you obviously have to be able to finish and they definitely could have won that game. It's I think a good stepping stone for them, but but they're a young team, and I think the biggest thing is you just really have to learn how to win and finish games, and that that is something that you know you have to. It, you know, it doesn't come easy. I thought the run defense was a lot better than than I had expected um, by the Bears. It kept them in the game. Ryan threw for 300 yards, but they were getting stifled in the red zone at times. Tariq Cohen looked like he's another great young back in this league, and with him and Howard, I, I would just. I would caution Bears fans that are expecting quick results because obviously it's a work in progress, but you have Trubisky on the bench, you have Glennon who's just solid, nothing more, nothing less. I would think a run-heavy approach might be the best way to get some results this year. What do you think? Yeah, I think um, you know whatever it is, they're, they're, uh, you know, defense is there, and you know, they're able to draft these running backs kind of out of nowhere. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they basically went the whole third quarter, I believe, without – I think uh, Glennon had one – completion like the last play of the quarter so yeah. yeah i mean you can definitely feed those guys and cohen's definitely you know a guy who has proven that he can be a playmaker and break off those big plays and that's kind of i think what you will need then as you were saying you know if they're not going to be able to pass that effectively but you know you could still break out these 30 40 50 yard runs yeah. that's really what would carry them and then you know just being efficient and scoring touchdowns in red zone yeah and again sad to see what happened to kevin white third year in a row season ending injury you know it's just uh it's one of those things where he just cannot stay on the field. Um, I don't know. I, I think there's promise with Chicago. I, I wouldn't say to expect anything right away, but this is the first time, at least as an outsider, I felt like there's rumblings of a plan being in place. So we'll see. 
I, I think they have definitely have some defensive players in in tack, and this is a defense that over the last couple of years have been, from Bears standards historically, um, some of the worst defenses the franchise has ever seen. If you look at the you know year to year points allowed, yards allowed per game, but they have a lot of really good solid pieces. You know they don't have the the Brian Urlacher's or the Mike Singletary's, but you put them all together, and I think think uh, you know they can definitely hold down the opponent to enough points where the offense can be able to win the game. So yeah, I think that. I think heading into the season, a lot of people thought maybe this would just be another three and thirteen, four and twelve year. But kind of looking at it now, you know, I, I think after this game, you could kind of see maybe them go. I mean, they could potentially make a run. Obviously, it's not too early uh, <laughs> yeah. in the season to say you know, the playoffs are out. But but I think you know when you're kind of looking at how teams build themselves, maybe this is a year where you go seven, nine, eight, and eight, and then next year really make that run. Yeah. Well. It's the future. I wouldn't say it's bright, but the sun might be coming up. Let's just—I'll I'll use that as my metaphor. But money, Mitch effect, Adam Musto. Let's now take a journey to the AFC North, where, like the NFC East, all the teams played each other this weekend. Brown Steelers, uh, game one. Steelers win twenty-one to eighteen. And as sad, angry, pissed off as it makes me that Ben Roethlisberger now has more wins in Brown Stadium than any quarterback since '99. Much more competitive than I thought. I think I feel the same way you feel about the Bears after week one, Adam, because they lose by three, and realistically the defense only gives up 14 points if they just learned what the punt team was for in the first minutes of the game. It's an entirely different story, but Kaiser looked raw. He he showed flashes of potential. The defense under Coach Greg Williams looked very, very tough and tenacious. I'm in that same boat. I think that there's something here. I, I don't know when it'll <laughs> rear its head for success, but a very good showing by this young Browns team. Yeah, I think um, you know I, I really give them a lot of credit for how they drafted the last year, the last couple of years, and I think they definitely have a lot of pieces in, in place. And you know, I don't know how you feel about Hugh Jackson. I think, and, and I'm not 100 percent sure how I feel about him too. I think you know he's he's obviously accomplished. He has accomplished some things in the NFL. Um, so yeah, I mean they're a young team and, and they're still learning how to win. I like Njoku. I think uh, Kaiser was a great pick. And, you know, obviously it gives me confidence that they had the confidence to make him the week one starter. I'm obviously not a practice, uh, not a preseason games, but but whatever the coaches saw said, hey, this is the best guy for this job. And and I think that's always a good sign when when you're able to beat out the competition right away. Yeah, Jackson, I mean, it sounds cliche, but he's going to be judged by how he develops his young quarterback. I mean, he got he accomplished things by implementing some offensive schemes that worked in different places. And he got through to the quarterbacks that he had in Oakland and Palmer, especially in Cincinnati. So we'll see what happens with Kaiser. Um, you know, there were some plays where he tried to add a little too much. He realizes, I think, pretty quickly it's the NFL. Uh, but again, Pittsburgh grinded it out. Uh, they're a team that does, I will say this, Adam, for whatever reason, they play down to the competition quite a bit. Bell was a non-factor. Antonio Brown carried this team to win. I mean, it's insane to think that Roethlisberger had 263 yards passing and Brown had 182 of those yards through the air. I mean, that is just yeah, one I mean, receiver putting it on his back. Yeah, I mean, I still don't know how he's able to get open, or even when he's not open, I mean, he's able to you know that one side, that catch down the sideline, mm-hmm. you know, double coverage. He, you just sometimes. somehow know. I, I think it used to be that he would have three or five catches a game, and you were guaranteed that. Now I feel like you're almost guaranteed he's going to get that 9 to 10 catcher, you know, 11 catches a game. So yeah, he's just so consistent, and like yeah, the, the Steelers they do you know have a lot of close games, but they're able to grind it out. And I think it's just that you know the leadership and the experience of Roethlisberger and Tomlin, knowing all the small details to really close out a game. So the other game, Adam, in the AFC North, and I don't want to sound too bullish already on my Week One and my NFL season predictions. 
But I had one team in the north trending upward, the Ravens, one team trending downward, the Bengals, and this was as bad. This was probably worse than the scoreboard looked. Ravens won 20 to nothing. Danny Woodhead gets injured in the game. They're still able to just completely shut down the Bengals' offense. What I saw was more on the Bengals' side. Like, I don't know how you interpreted this game. The Ravens still have some things to work out if they're a true playoff team, but there's a spark there. I think you could see it with Macklin stepping into that offense and the defense getting more depth at key positions. But this Bengals team, they're in they're in full. I, would, I wouldn't say full. I'd say somewhat of an identity crisis, especially on offense, because it was not pretty. They were not a threat at all, it seemed like, to score. You think the Bengals are, are going to be as bad as this looked, or can they can they rally the troops and make a playoff run? Yeah, you know, after this performance, I'm probably going to agree with you. And it's funny, you were kind of saying that, you know, you had one team going up, one team going down. For me, it was kind of a toss-up. Here I saw kind of two teams that didn't do as well as they wanted to last year. And I thought, I honestly thought the Bengals' season last year was kind of a fluke. And I thought they would kind of still get into that mode of, you know, 9, 10, 11 wins and maybe consistently and, you know, make it, making a playoff run. But, but yeah, after this performance, you know, it definitely has me questioning things. I mean, for Andy Dalton to come in, come out at home and for throw, you know, throw four interceptions against a Ravens team that obviously isn't as talented as they've been in years past, um, I think definitely has to give some fans some concern. Because, yeah. yeah, I thought, you know, last year was just kind of a, a fluke year, but, but, you know, I think they do have some bigger problems. I'm going to be honest. I think A.J. McCarron's starting by week four. I think the clock is ticking on Dalton. He's been there as long as he has. They spent money to keep him. You know, I, I think I think it's going to be his team. And, and Baltimore, it's funny that we're praising coaches for doing, you know, basic things, but Blacko is not 100%. They were beat up. Cincinnati has a great secondary. So what do they do? They run the ball 40 times with Ward, with West, excuse me, and Buck Allen after Woodhead gets hurt. This was just a solid game plan by the Ravens. They knew Cincinnati's offense couldn't hurt them. They didn't want to take any chances. A couple big throws by by Flacco, and and I think Baltimore, this formula, as basic and sometimes, quite frankly, boring as it is, it just works. Yeah, I mean, Flacco had nine completions and you know threw 17 passes, less than 20 passes, so um, that is a formula for success for them. <laughs> well, and I do, I do want to talk about one other game quickly on the Money Mitch effect, Adam Musto. That I don't know that we would dive into too much, but I, I want to say maybe it will be a, a big playoff game. But you saw the Raiders and the Titans. It was the rare week one matchup of two preseason darlings. And I think this game, Adam, and correct me if I'm wrong, it kind of, I don't want to say exposed, but it showed these teams for what they are. Two teams with a lot of potential, but still a long way to go, in my opinion, to get to that Super Bowl level. The Titans secondary for as good as I think Mariota in the offense is, has a lot of holes, has a lot long way to go. And then you have Oakland that didn't quite didn't put the put the burners on, didn't push this game into uh into what it should have been because they were a team that was playing in front with the lead with momentum. Would have liked to see a little more from both these teams, but for the Raiders they'll accept a win on the road. What was your takeaway from this this game between two young up and coming teams? Yeah, so I, I did kind of think this was a, a toss up leading up to the game. Um, if anything, I, I do think, you know, if Derek Carr stays healthy, that they could definitely be a solid contender in, in the AFC. And the Titans, I'm just really not still 100% sold on them. Maybe I'm, you know, I've never really been a huge Marcus Mariota fan, and I'm sure there's probably ways that I can be, um, you know, swayed to jump on the bandwagon. But but I just, I, I don't see them having the whole package to really compete year in and year out, you know, be a consistent playoff team, especially this season. But, but they obviously have a lot of players um, on the offensive side of the ball that can at least make an impact. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, this is probably, 
I, I mean, I could see this as a potential playoff game. I would say the Raiders should probably be at home at that game. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, it, it was good to see, I think, Derek Carr back on the field. And, I mean, that one you know short touchdown pass by Amari Cooper was something yeah. something out of this world. They have the pieces in place, but, but, yeah, I think they still kind of need to kind of prove themselves against, you know, the likes of, of you know, the Patriots or the Steelers, I think, to, to really get over that hump. Yeah, and the Chiefs, who beat them twice last year, uh, another another team they have to prove themselves with. Just to be clear, I think the Raiders have to fine-tune some things. They went deep into the red zone, settled for points, you know, had drive stall out. They look like they're much further along than the Titans. But, yeah, it's still a game where you'd like to see more from these teams, you know, putting on uh, an emphatic performance, maybe the likes of a Kansas City, which we saw uh, as well in Week 1. Uh, I do, I do want to spend some time here talking about two teams that had young quarterbacks show out Adam and that was the Rams and the Eagles two second year quarterbacks the golf and Wentz show got to be the first time I don't have the notes in front of me but Adam got to be the first time they both played well in the same week I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that but golf playing great against the hapless Colts Wentz looking pretty solid against a Redskins team that was out for blood early in this game but year two is a big year in the development of quarterbacks and through one week at least these two guys passed yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the book on golf was, you know, I was talking to my cousin about this a couple months ago that maybe some people in the organization think that he might be kind of a bust and, oh, shoot, you know, we, we spent a first first overall pick on this guy. I don't know if it's going to work out because we really didn't see a whole lot from him last year that, you know, made gave fans a lot of confidence. But, yeah, I mean, I was shocked by the score of this game. Obviously, you know, the, the Colts are definitely kind of spinning their own tires and, you know, until they get Andrew Luck back, even with a, if they do have Andrew Luck, I mean, they could still struggle. I did expect them to compete in the AFC South because I don't know if it was going to be that competitive a division but but yeah I mean I was just surprised by how how easy the Rams had it yesterday so you know I guess you probably root for guys like this and and uh, you know to do well and especially in a new relatively new football city and and I mean but you know Eagles Redskins that's a huge you know NFC East rivalry obviously like we talked about things will work its way out during the season but but I think it does kind of it is definitely good on Wentz to be able to have these critical wins in the games that matter directly against the division. Yeah, I mean, for golf, I think he's helped by the fact that Jeff Fisher's no longer there. <laughs> Take that for what it is, but it's a new system. It's a new it's a new way for him to succeed. And Cooper Cup and Sammy Watkins being weapons that he did not have last year, I think are going to help uh, his team and Todd Gurley, some of the players as well. But, yeah, the Colts could be the worst team in the league. I don't think we're going out on yeah. a limb and saying that. Like, they're that bad. <laughs> I know the Jets are bad. The Browns and Bears, are, we're not really expecting them. But, my God, the Colts looked awful. And it wasn't just the poor – beyond poor play of Scott Tolzien at quarterback before he got benched. That's just not a good football team. So we'll see what happens there. But Wentz, what I liked about him was he's got some uh, underrated, I would say, athleticism. I mean, some of the plays he was making when the line did break down. So it's like Yeah, I mean, that, to see. that touchdown pass where he, he you know, lose the sack and you know, threw downfield to Aguilar was just amazing how he was able to get out of there and throw a touchdown pass. Well, Adam Musto, Money Mitch, in fact, before we wrap this up, uh, it wasn't all it wasn't all gravy this week. I mean, the uh, Buffalo Jets game that the Bills won, not exactly a barn burner. Same goes for the Panthers beating the uh, the Niners, that are another team in the running for worse this year. We saw the Texans get thumped by the Jaguars. A lot of players go down in injuries in that game, but Tom Savage, the Savage era, in all its glory, looks like it lasted about a half. So. Yeah. And Watson time now, I <laughs> yeah. suppose. Yeah, I mean, I was expecting a lot more from him. I mean, he was a guy that, you know, I thought had played well at certain times. And, and you know, the Titans, I mean, sorry, the Texans, you think, are one of these teams that do have so much on defense, especially with J.J. Watt healthy, that really if they just kind of have that quarterback that can just kind of right the ship and, or, you know, steer the ship, 
they could easily kind of sneak in in the South, you know, maybe win 10, nine, 10 games. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was just shocked that they put up such a pretty bad performance against the Jaguars at home. Yeah, it was, it was not good. Uh, the line got abused. Um, and defensively, it is good to see Dante Fowler back in action, though. Yeah. I know he's you know had a lot of injuries his first couple of years, so you know it's always kind of nice to see guys unlike Kevin Whitework and Sam Field. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think that the Jaguars are going to be particularly good. This this looks to me like all the signs are there for a blip in the radar game, but we'll have to we'll have to see. I just don't know that I'm buying now the the Bortles year three. But hey, they went out there and they went into Houston and won by 22 points. The saddest, though, story of the week has to be David Johnson. I mean, this just sucks for football fans in general, but the Lions beat the Cardinals 35-23, and David Johnson might miss half, two-thirds of the season now with the sprained wrist. It sucks at all levels, but the Cardinals are absolutely dead and buried if this guy's out that long. I I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, I mean, he's a special player, and kind of like you said, he's, I think, a special player and a good player for the NFL just because he's really exciting. You know, I think a lot of general fans probably don't have anything against the Cardinals. They're probably a team that you want to root for, obviously, with guys like Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald. They're definitely, you know, if, if your team's not in the race, they're one you can kind of hop on it and root for, as I've, you know, always kind of felt a little bit. And and David Johnson, I mean, he's just, he, he I think he makes the NFL better. I mean, what he's done, um, you don't really see as much from that many players. And I know, you know, it was really unfortunate, even though, you know, it was kind of at the end of last season, but just for him to get injured late in the season in kind of a meaningless game. And, you know, I don't know if maybe that rehab had anything to do, you know, with being more injury prone or anything. And I, he, he got banged up in the preseason too, or is that, am I making that up? Or? I, I think they held him out. We, I don't know the extent of if he was really injured, if it was just a precaution, but yeah, he did miss some time in the preseason. And, and whether it's a sprained wrist, Adam, or a dislocated wrist, this isn't something that they're going to be obviously trying to rush him back in, especially if the team's not doing well. So you miss seven, eight games with the Cardinals and the way they, they might be trending with Palmer's age and an aging defense. I don't know if he's even going to play again this year. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think their season really got derailed week one last year, losing to the Patriots in, in really a, you know, a shocking game. They were winning at the end and, and kind of mm-hmm. came up short there, if my memory serves me right. Yeah. And that kind of just derailed their season. And yeah, I mean, with, with the old guys that they have, you know, obviously they don't have a whole lot of time you know, I, I don't think they, you know, those guys can afford to be on another 5-11 and 11 team and, or, you know, a team that goes, wins only five, six games and then maybe compete again. They, you know, they really kind of have to write the ship pretty quickly. They do. Well, we'll, we'll have to see. This is going to be some interesting developments in the National Football League as we, you know, we recorded this on a Monday while the Monday night games are going on, so we don't have the full results in for us, but it was a wild week one. Still going to have to see what happens in the Adrian Peterson revenge game against the Vikings, Saints-Vikings, and then Chargers-Broncos later. So another big division game as well. Well, Adam Musto, thanks again for coming on. And before I let you go, the last thing I wanted to try to do this year, a lot of people will say what we learned or what, what new developments happened after week one, but I want to try something different this year. What is the one thing that you think you're most wrong on after watching a week of NFL football? Like, where do you say, mm-hmm. I was wrong about this, this is, or I might be wrong long-term about this, we'll say. We'll give ourselves outs, but where do you yeah. think you stand Yeah, let's see. That's a good question. You know, I think I was wrong on, well, I, I want to kind of steer in the Matt Stafford direction of, of but I, I don't know if, if saying that, you know, the, the money he got paid was too much or not what he deserved, but, but I don't know much on a limb there. I mean, I would say the Rams, I, I mean, I thought the Rams were dead in the water. I really didn't expect a whole lot from their new coaching staff, a whole lot from Jared Goff. I know it's only one game against the Colts, and 
that I mean, I just didn't expect them to score 46 points. I don't know if they scored 46 points over you know any five game stretch last year um, at all. So it was quite. I, I believe I don't know if in the Jack in the Box in Los Angeles, but they had a promotion last year where if the Rams scored two touchdowns, everyone got a free burger. And it, I, I think it only happened like once or twice last year. So maybe. Uh, Hopefully they renewed that, I guess, for, for yesterday's game. Yeah, it took them like three home games to get to two collective touchdowns last year. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to save off on being wrong about teams that won surprisingly because we know the bottom can drop out. So I'll look at the other side. I feel like I'm not going to be very right about my Giants as Dark Horse Super Bowl contenders with a line that can't block anybody. So <laughs> I'll say one more, one, uh, one cleat getting stepped on or one time Beckham comes up limp. And this team is dead. So I think I think I may have overvalued the Giants a little too much, and that's what terrifies me of my prediction. So yeah, we'll yeah, see what I, happens. I guess, uh, you know, in the words of <laughs> words of Dave Damashek, I know uh, you know that every team has a Jenga piece, and I think uh, Beckham's definitely their Jenga piece. I mean, also maybe the, I, I would say the Chiefs too. You know, I kind of expected them to just kind of go through the motions and you know win a few easy games, but not really compete against the the solid team. So, but they were able to do it with one. All right, Adam Musto, this was fun. Thanks for coming on the show we'll be doing this uh, again as the nfl season progresses but as it stands right now one sunday down 16 to go there you go thanks for having me all right big thanks to adam musto for coming on the show and i think we're going to keep that theme uh going where did we go wrong so many people are afraid to uh, own up to their mistakes not me I'm great at making a fool of myself, always coming up with new ways to do it. Uh, all right, but now it's George Spinozian, and it was the Vikings, by the way, and the Broncos who got the wins at home on Monday Night Football. That affected our fantasy teams. George Spinozian is going to talk about that as well as recap the 2017 U.S. Opens. It was a banner year. Sloan Stevens, Rafael Nadal, champions. A lot more to talk about. Here's the gambler, the guru, George Spinozian. It's the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, it is time to recap the 2017 U.S. Open. Got some champs on the men's and women's side to discuss. Back on the show, the guru, the fantasy guru, the gambler, George Finozian, Tennis Channel's own. And George, I got to say first things first. I think I can say with pretty much certainty that this is the most important thing that you'll do all week is be on this podcast, (laughs) is be on this podcast. Yeah, this is definitely the highlight of my week right now, for sure. <laughs> you know, nothing's <laughs> gonna, you know, nothing will top this. I mean, you, I think we might try to top it somewhere on Saturday or something, but maybe, maybe, maybe. maybe but this is this is up there. Okay, it's good, and it, it is. I think we can confirm the last podcast you'll be on as a single man. So, unless you're cheating on me That's in the true. next four days, I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like Mike in the morning on Friday, but that's it. Oh God, I would cry. But all right, George, let's get to the tur- <laughs> let's get to the tournaments now on the Money Mitch Effect, the U.S. Open, another one in the books, and I'm going to do something that we don't normally do, George. Let's start with the with the women's side because I feel like there was, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but a little bit more drama than normal on the women's side, and definitely more so than on the men's side. George, I'm going to mm-hmm. harken back to a statement you made uh, a little bit ago, a couple months ago, where you said, 
you know, you were kind of intrigued by the idea that Serena would be out because it's more wide open, like you were kind of waiting for mm-hmm. it. And we saw that with Sloane Stevens winning her first major four Americans in the semi. But do you think that lived up to your initial thought that it was a more exciting, more wide open major? To be honest, even though a lot of people might disagree with this, but I feel like a lot of these top players not being there in, in both the women's and men's side has actually been the greatest thing for tennis because it almost feels like this is what it's going to feel like when all these players, all these great players that we've been watching for years are not here. And for once, it's kind of like, okay, like this, let's see what the next generation has to offer. And, and like Sloane Stevens winning and Ostapenko winning and Zverev like all of a sudden, like being a, one of a top force in the men's game and team. And there's just, there's a lot of, a lot of guys that like we've kind of been, keeping our eye on and now finally like they're stepping up and and, and it's it just a matter of time where they they're gonna actually be the face of tennis you know but it's like it was cool to to see these players do their thing when when a lot of these former top champions are not playing well i think the men's side was a little more barren i think that was a little too much in my opinion um the the draw a little. was just week before it even started oh. On the women's side, I do agree with you because it's giving these younger players an opportunity uh, to step up. There is still a veteran presence, but you saw that for the first time, some of these young Americans really took advantage of the opportunity and won some big matches. Every one of those American semifinalists on the women's side, George, had to beat some tough competition to get there. I mean, that go, that mm-hmm. that's just a fact. Um, there were some great matches, and it was you know Coco Vandeweghe, Madison Keys. Sloane Stevens, then the ageless Venus Williams. Some pretty good matches to get there, uh, but Sloane takes it. She beats Venus in a three-set thriller and then destroys Madison Keys, who coincidentally destroyed Coco Vandeweghe in the semis. The final In that final, it was 6-3, 6 love. Sloane Stevens, first major, 24 years old. Uh, just some great tennis, and crazy to think that you know five months ago she was working for us with a walking boot on, ranked outside the top 900, wins her first major. We were expecting her to win a major when she first came onto the scene, but I don't know many people that thought it would be this one. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely shocking that she won the tournament, and it's even more shocking to what the, the score was in that final game. I mean, talk about Madison Keys just being the ultimate choke. Yeah, That's Jesus. like... That is unbelievable. Like, I couldn't even... I, to be honest, I didn't have time to watch the final, but... I thought once I saw the score and I saw the highlights, I was like, oh, my God. What Lindsay Davenport was probably legit crying after <laughs> all those crying faces. Yeah, she takes those <laughs> losses hard. And I, I think it's just Keys being a little mentally not ready for that big moment. She looks so good getting to the final. That's why she it's did, shocking. Yeah. Beating Spitalina where she had to rally in the third set, destroying Coco, yeah. uh, who has her own mental problems. But then Sloan, who her defense – Highly underrated. She's got a lot of power on that forehand, and the serve mm-hmm. was was on in this tournament. Mm-hmm. I think the most impressive thing, obviously, winning this major is going to go down for her, you know, as maybe a stepping stone or a career achievement. But George, that semifinal match against Venus, this is Venus Williams, you know, who's got I think seven or eight majors and has really dominated this game for a long time, with the exception of her sister, probably been the dominant force in the last twenty years always finds a way to just come up big in big moments. It was 5-all, 30-all. It was 5-4 uh, in that game. Sloan was serving to stay in it, and it was 30-all. 
Now, nine times out of ten, yeah. you expect Venus to just find a way to make the play. Sloan, the younger, more inexperienced player who's had her tendency to slip a little bit, she bears down, holds serve, breaks, and wins. I, I thought that was the breakthrough for me, that she was able to out, you know, play Venus. When, when it was a dead heat, when it was even, she made the shot she needed to. I was thoroughly yeah. impressed with Sloan from that match, from Svetisvo winning in a tie break before, and then destroying Keys. It was a complete tournament and one that I was shocked to see this go round. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you made a great point. That's, that was definitely the the champion games, you know, like, I like to call, mm-hmm. that she earned it because those were definitely, she definitely faced adversity throughout the tournament. I believe she had like a tie break, a third set tie break with, uh, was that with Svetlina or? Svetisva, no. yeah. Yeah, Svetisva, she had a third set tie break. So she, you know, she definitely went, uh, like you said, she played some tough matches. She held her ground and, and she made it. I mean, it's a great accomplishment for her and especially only at 24. That's kind of came at the right time for her and hopefully that'll motivate her to, to continue to do great things or to stay consistent because that's just one thing in the women's game that's lacking is mm-hmm. consistency. Hopefully this will be a good... I mean, it, it's it's pretty comical if you think about that <laughs> six weeks ago, Sloan Stevens was ranked 957 in the world or something like that. Yeah. And now she's in the top 20, like in, in a matter of six weeks. <laughs> well, I will say do this, that. though. I, I will say Is one that, thing. like, when I read that, I yeah. was like, are you kidding? That, like, <laughs> crazy. I'm sure that gave a lot of motivation to somebody that's ranked, like, 900 okay. right now. Be like, hey, I can be in the top 20 in six weeks in women's tennis yeah. if I just keep winning. <laughs> you had Kanepi make a quarterfinal, too, who was, like, ranked 400. So it was, and that was even yeah. more ridiculous that she, you know, hasn't been playing in years um, but yeah Sloan her her rise to this major wasn't just a fluke I don't want to even use the term fluke but wasn't just one good tournament she had been playing good in the Masters she series. had been you know I think she made she back-to-back been, yeah. semifinals in, in yeah. those tournaments so she was building on it and she's got top 10 top 20 game I think we all agree on she that does. Um, but I'm wondering about her going forward George because on the surface there's a lot to like there's a lot to invest in 24 years old, a lot of talent. And the way she handles herself, the charisma, I could think of a lot worse people to maybe be the next face of te- of the game, if possible, or one of the faces of women's tennis. Do you think that's in play for her? Could we be looking at a multi-major champion here? It definitely is in play for her. You know, I mean, she definitely needs to stay humble and kind of focused because she she has a tendency, I think, to like, drift mentally and she's done it in the past where she's made some noise and you know beat Serena at the Australian Open that one year and then kind of disappeared a bit and then yeah sure she was injured you got to give her that but I mean like I said she is a top 10 talent when she's playing well but how long can she play well for it's really unpredictable but I, I really hope that this is her motivation yeah, it was a great tournament for Sloan. Uh, just a phenomenal run. If only I could have been friends with her on TV all the time. Um, but but alas, you know, if <laughs> only I was able to run her social media. <laughs> all right, <You> know. <laughs> if only. I mean, I was only one step away. Uh, but it, we'll see, though. Hey, a lot is going to be said about this tournament. All the American tennis players, the, the the strong presence on the women's side, and George with Serena and Venus Williams getting older. 
I think it's very possible that not just Sloan, but we will see Keys eventually win a major or two, maybe even more than that. She's only 22. Coco's still knocking on the door two semifinals this year. I like America's tennis chances in the next in the next decade without the Williams sisters. Would you share those sentiments? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's we have a good future. I mean, the fact that it was four Americans in the semifinals, it's definitely a good sign, you know, with one of them being Venus. I know she she won't be there forever, but damn, who knows with her. So, hey, I got to say, too, um, in the yeah, girl, it's good, though. In the girls' junior match, which is a deep dive as a tennis channel employee is the only reason I know this, the, final is, the finals were two American girls, uh, and the one that lost... Was 13 years old. Her name is Coco Groff, and that's the. If you want to buy the hype train now, a 13 year old made the junior girls final, which is pretty ridiculous to and think about. Do you know how old the the other finalist was? Or the, the 16. The I think it was 16. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Wow. So it was. I mean, yeah. So there's so the, she's <laughs> the next CC Bellis. I know. There's look there. And I don't, neither of them are playing college. You can take that to the bank right now. But they have a oh, lot of yeah. a lot of good players there. And lastly, on the women's side, George, it was the first real you know major back. It was yeah, it was the first major back since her drug suspension. But Maria Sharapova beats Simona Halep in the first round, wins a total of three matches, loses to Svetisva, who you know got to the round of sixteen. Did Sharapova an interesting return, uh, an interesting draw? But on the tennis side. It looks like Maria's going to be back. Like, it looks like, I know there's there's some rust and there's, you know, any, you know, there was a bad match, bad couple sets down the stretch against Fetisva, but it looks like Sharapova's going to be back and have something to say about the next couple major champions for sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, she definitely, she needs to get back in the grind of playing a lot of tournaments and just, you know, being in, in, in tennis, it's not easy to, to travel as much as they do and to play multiple tournaments throughout the year, but she'll get accustomed to it again. And I think fatigue was definitely a factor in, in this past U.S. Open. And she just needs to get in shape a little, a little, a little more in game shape to do it consistently in a tournament, you know, five or six times in order to win it. So she played well though. She looked good. Yeah. And, and you know, like, you know that she'll eventually stay consistent because that's what she, she had been doing before she yeah. had gone away. But um, yeah, there's a lot of drama still behind her. Oh, a yeah. lot of players don't like her. A lot, definitely. There's whenever players are up against her, they really want to beat her. So yeah, um, and I don't know if you saw, but her. I like watching her game, though. <laughs> I, I, I like watching her play. Yeah, beating Halp, that was a great match. I'd say the match of the tournament with all the drama, with all the you know hype going around a first round match yeah. like that. Uh, but I don't know if you know this, George, but her book came out today. So Sharapova releases her book and was on Good Morning America today talking about it. But some of the excerpts came out, and there is some interesting stuff in there, particularly about one Serena Williams. So I just want to read one one quote in particular. She said the reason why they don't get along and why she Serena says or Sharapova says Serena's been obsessed with being her like she has for the last you know thirteen years is that after she beat her in the two thousand four Wimbledon final as a seventeen year old. Sharapova went into the locker room and, and witnessed Serena crying, which I thought was interesting that she put in her book, Guttural Sobs, the Sort That Make You Heave for Air, the Sort That Scare You. It went on and on. I got out as quickly as I could, but she knew I was there. So I, I think this is an interesting tell. She she had a lot to say about Serena. Uh, and I, I was don't, crying after she was defeated. 
Yeah, yeah. Now I don't. Um, Sharapova beater, right? Yeah. yeah. Now I don't consider them rivals. I just want to point that out. I have a few rules with rivalries, and one is you have to beat the other. There has to be some give and take in the rivalry over the course of a decade. Yeah, like a so like been, a rough. <laughs> so has been one, taking yeah. it all, uh, and yeah. I think that doesn't make it a rivalry. Now there are some other things in there where she talks about how they just don't like each other, but you're starting to see, and this is just what I'll say. Sharapova's revealing book is going to probably delve deep into why she is who she is and why she just doesn't care what other girls think about her. Now, Serena's never publicly mm-hmm. commented on Sharapova, you know, in, in this regard or, or since the suspension, but it was no secret that they didn't like each other. I just, <laughs> I got to think this isn't going to help things for Sharapova. She's going to be an outcast. Dare I say a villain now in the tennis scene? It's, it's going to be a little different, I think, this go-round for Sharapova. Yeah, I mean, you know, everything, everything, all things fade eventually. So, for the time being, she is a villain. One year from now, people will forget about it, and things will probably be back to normal. And, and then maybe, maybe then she'll start being a little more consistent. I'm curious to see how she starts the beginning of next year, because that will give her enough time to, to fully kind of get back into into her, her normal game. Yeah, I, I think she just has to stay healthy. I think it's going to be uh, an interesting set of circumstances to see. It's crazy, though. I don't think there's this been this much to talk about in, in the WTA for a while. <laughs> no, and the fact that Serena's not here especially yeah. Uh, yeah. is interesting, too. But I don't know. I mean, I think th- this whole Meldonium thing, I still don't know. You know, she was on Good Morning America and basically downplayed it again. And there's just a lot of questions with what this... What exactly happened? I think that's the part where people, myself included to an extent, and girls on the tour, I would think, are having a tough time reconciling with the fact that we still don't know exactly the purpose of her taking Meldonium, you know, and what it exactly yeah. did and, and what she knew and what whether it was an honest mistake or not. So, uh, But, hey, it, it is an added storyline. It's another drawback in women's tennis. Well, George Pinozian, Money Mitch Effect, let's go to the men's side. Rafael Nadal, Let's do it. 16th major, third U.S. Open. George Nadal gets the job done. He beats Kevin Anderson in the final in straight sets. Two sides of the story. Nadal did what was asked of him, won a hardcore title for the first time in three years, won another major, got the job done as only Rafa could, but didn't play anyone in the top 20, and the average ranking of his opponents was 63. So I got to think this is the easiest path wow. to a major that we've seen, maybe ever, definitely in a long time. But in any event, Rafa is the champion. Yeah, I mean, that semifinal between Del Potro, that to me was the final <laughs> yeah. with the way like everything was going, you know, with uh, Kevin Anderson. It's no surprise that Nadal won the tournament, especially with Fed uh, losing early. But Fed was really the only guy that I thought was going to be able to defeat Rafa and, and Del Potro. Del Potro, especially after winning that first set, I, I honestly thought he was on pace to, to mm-hmm. beating Nadal. I was like, you know what? He can do it. He can beat Nadal. Like, that's it's huge that he had won the first set. And then later on, Nadal just, he had like a switch that he just turned on. And then all of a sudden, he was just unbeatable. Del Potro had no answer to any of But, you know, Nadal's defense is, his defense is back. And that, that's what, that's been the difference. That's why we're seeing a lot of like vintage Rafa. I, I still have a hard time like enjoying Rafa's matches mm-hmm. because he just doesn't hit the ball so hard. He just 
he gets it over. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He's not as exciting to watch for me as, as he used to be. Right, but he, I think he's but, equally efficient. I think the serve is But he's is efficient, good. exactly. Exactly, you know, he, yeah. He, he served well, and that's what he had to do against Kevin Anderson in that final who, you know, let's face it, he's probably never going to get to another major finals. <laughs> so, uh, well, you said off. that you you said that before. I'm actually. talking about I'm talking about Kevin Anderson. <laughs> oh, Kevin Anderson. <laughs> Unless you want like... do you think he's going to make the uh, Aussie Open 2018 champ? Is it going to be Kevin Anderson? <laughs> <laughs> I know I was reading something like uh, an article that was saying Kevin Han- Anderson hopes to like use this like as motivation to like. <laughs> And I'm like, oh my god! Like, don't think <laughs> like th- this is like that was your only chance that yeah. you're ever going to be in a final for sure. Yeah, he, yeah. Um, he but, just didn't have the but game. Good for him to yeah. live in that moment and then yeah. to be there. That's that's an accomplishment too, regardless of who was in the tournament or not. Mm-hmm. Making a Grand Slam final is an accomplishment, no matter what, no matter who you play. It is, it is, and he he needed to win some tough matches to get there. You know, Sam Query was hot in the quarters; he beat him. He beat Pablo, Karina Booster was playing some good tennis and uh, just mm-hmm. couldn't beat Nadal. But I will say, you know, Del, the Del Potro side of things was the storyline that he was able to come back from two sets down to beat team, uh, save match points, beat Fed, and then take take Nadal to four. I think his body just started to kind of break down. I don't know that he'll ever get to that major championship level again, but it's good mm-hmm. to see him turn back the clock on occasion, rip those forehands, and uh, make plays. But Rafa's, oh, yeah. tough. but Rafa's tough when he's playing defense, when he can just grind you down in a best-of-five format. Yeah. You know, that's, where, that's where he really shines, and it's 16 now. You know, it, it's it's insane to me, George. I'll, I'll say insane in this sense. Roger and Rafa went all the majors in 2017. <laughs> like, how, how does that still happen? It's, it, it, to be honest, I was thinking that Rafa – Rafa could have potentially won three majors this year. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, I know he won two, but I'm saying that final at, at the Australian Open, like, Fed had to come back from mm-hmm. being down a break in the fifth set. And I I remember watching that, and I thought Rafa was going to win that. So if Rafa had won that, he would have won three majors this year, like, kind of, like, quietly, because yeah. everyone was not really expecting, like, Definitely not expecting Rafa and Roger to dominate the the ATP this year, but they have, and it's it's unbelievable. And it's honestly it's an epic thing to watch. It's an epic time for tennis and to see like these legends. And we're gonna remember these days. Like later on in the future, we'll we'll be talking about. Oh man, remember when Federer was 36 or 35 years old and Rafa was like towards the end of his career. Everyone, I mean, now Rafa, who knows how many years he has left in him now. I know, it, but I, I do. I don't want to take credit away from either of those two legends, but and they play great tennis and they bounce back and, and improve their game. But there's advantageous times and and the oh, landscape yeah. around them. You know, Djokovic and Murray were playing absolutely at, at an unbelievable, awesome level the last absolutely. two years. That had to ha- that had to have happened in order for yeah. for them to dominate the way they did and, because yeah. we all saw it that those those top guys that uh, Djokovic, Murray, they were the next best players mm-hmm. Rafa and, and and Roger were fading yeah yeah they were but, and and I also think you know the, the Stan being out he's a guy that can can go deep in majors one last year's US Open can get hot and beat anyone and honestly George the younger generation just still isn't quite there it's almost like we've skipped one generation like we've given up on the Miloshes and the Nishikoris and now we're waiting on, I guess teams a little older, but then Zverev and maybe Kolrich and Rublev, but they're not quite ready yet. 
So Roger and Rafa are able mm-hmm. to take advantage of that as well. I mean, Zverev was the guy that we thought could break through, four seed, week half of a major, and loses the Borna Courts, mm-hmm. another next-gen guy. Still hasn't gotten to, the, to a quarterfinal of a major, but one day we hope, we think it'll happen. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. To be honest, I, I, I'm looking forward to that next-gen. Like I want it to be soon. Like If if you told me that maybe all of these legends could leave the game now, I would I would think about it. I would be <laughs> like, you know what, it wouldn't be so bad. I, I, I think maybe I would pay yeah. even more attention to the ATP. <laughs> Is it fair to say that the generation immediately after Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, but not, you know, Zverev, is that the worst generation in tennis history? <laughs> I don't think so. Well, they haven't I, I won a major. The I'm talking oh, about as that. Far as for, yeah, yeah. You haven't seen, like, a breakout 18-year-old kid win well, a major. No, I'm like, not, yeah, I'm not saying yeah. that. I'm saying, like, the Milos Nishikori, like, if you were born from, like, 90 to, like, 94. Oh, that middle, that middle generation. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's pretty Oh, brutal. yeah. We're, we already skipped that. We skipped that part. You, you know who the youngest, you know who the youngest Grand Slam holder right now is? Youngest person alive, man alive to hold a Grand Slam? Juan Martin Del Potro. And that happened, <laughs> <laughs> that happened eight years ago. When he was, what, 21? When he was, like, 20, about to be 21. Yeah. <laughs> So, oh my gosh! There you go. Um, but hey, in, in all seriousness, hats off to Nadal. He's you know at that point now where he's still within range of uh, maybe catching Roger. I don't know. I and know it'll be tough, but there's still a couple years left of tennis in him. So we'll even see. even if he does catch Roger, man, Roger's still the greatest of all time. Yeah, it seems like Roger's not going to go anywhere in the near future either. So no, and Roger's um, probably going to win another slam. So <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think George though George Pinozzi Money Mitch effect that it's over for Dimitrov that you've crushed his spirit and killed his soul or do you think there's still time you know you know, I, I tend to have uh, I mean poor guy I, I genuinely feel bad and I'm considering maybe taking that photo down on Instagram <laughs> and he wins just so maybe he can win a slam yeah uh, but I mean I don't know about him, man. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if he if he's ever going to win a slam. I'd say he's definitely talented. <laughs> At least it was Rublev that know. he lost to. You know, it wasn't a complete choke loss. Rublev who beat Goffin. Yeah, but and, you're a lot more experienced yeah. and a lot older that he should have won that match. Still, yeah. it was a straight set loss. It was shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen. But I think if we're talking about worst performances at the U.S. Open. Another bad effort by Jack Sock, who's in the first round. Um, just oh, yeah. Not looking good. Um, I think he's just, like, in party mode. Maybe. <laughs> like, he just seems like he's just not focused anymore. He started off the year great, and then, and then I don't know. Yeah. I do like him, though. Yeah. I do like his game at times. Well, we all know where this is going to go. That's the kiss of death right there. <laughs> <laughs> but, all right, George Finozzi and Money Mitch effect. Tennis major season is over. It was an interesting one. Um, but I do want to switch topics before I let you go. Just announced, i got to get your take on this. The Laker legend, the Black Mamba, Kobe Bryant, gets two jerseys retired. You had to I be know. loving this when you heard it, right? Eight and 24, both retired. I don't know if that's ever happened before. That's awesome. I mean, it, it, it's well-deserved. He's done. He's, he's had a lot of accomplishments with both numbers, and everybody loves the vintage eight Kobe because that's when he came about. 
and the 24 was like the more mature kind of like I'm gonna do this by myself post Shaq era you know that that was more that Kobe and it was great because we get we got to see two almost different Kobe's in a way like his game definitely like changed throughout his career but he was always great and he was always the greatest one-on-one player that I've watched so it's it's exciting I I would love to be there I think it's on December 18th when they're going to do that so it's going to be a good vibe at Staples Center even though they're playing the Warriors that night yeah I I would have to say now I'm going to I'm going to guess and I if I was a betting man if we were playing poker I'd push all my chips into the middle of the table you like number eight Kobe more than number 24 it's just more your style. I do. <laughs> I I have a I have a number eight Kobe jersey actually. <laughs> you know what's and, funny um, is I thought they should have let him wear eight his last game. That just would have been cool. That, you know that would have been cool. That would have been really you cool. You would have been crying. For but sure. you know what though, twenty four <laughs> is all has always been my number. That's the oh, thing man. that I, I was born on October twenty fourth. So wow. growing up playing soccer, I was always either number two or number twenty four. And when he changed to 24, I was like, that's my man. That's why we homie. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) There it is. Well, George, George, great talking tennis and basketball with you. And congrats, fantasy season, 1-0, dancing in the hallways. We got (laughs) to – I pray you win your first five games. I feel like there's a chance that I might – go like three or four and oh with like the worst team (laughs) it's just kind of like the same thing as last year but you know what there's a lot of a lot of trash talk a lot of hate on my team right now and and that's fine everyone can everyone has their own opinion and 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 i don't think my team is is one of the better ones in the league i can say that Mm -hmm. but my team has a lot of potential there's there's a lot there's there's still a lot of stuff very early on in the season for people to be talking trash, aka Brandon Moglin. Well, I mean, let's I just. Be I, I, read, I read. I read his write up. Yeah, I, I wouldn't <laughs> worry too much about him. Um, yeah, the, <laughs> the Keenan Allen. But I mean, it's it's cool. Yeah, I mean, look, and I'm not worried about AP yet. There's a lot of. Okay. Todd is already texting me saying, "You're gonna drop your fourth round pick already to the waivers." Like, just come on, bro. AP, it's early. He'll figure it out with Sean Payton. They'll get him involved. He'll be all right. So what we want to do, I think, is set up a chart for like your confidence level of how many times. Like, like, so right now you're like at about ten seconds of dancing in the hallway. Just a little quick session. Devontae Freeman's gonna get hurt. Tevin Coleman's gonna just absolute demolish everybody. Yeah. Well, it could be worse. I mean, you, know? you could have had players. Philip Rivers uh, looked good. First week in Denver, Philip Rivers is going to have a good season. Good, yeah. He, he he came alive late, you know, but it could be worse. You could that have the number one. Game. You could have the number one overall pick be out for three months. Awful, but <laughs> I'm happy that it happened to Nelly. It's always Nelly. It always is. Um, but <laughs> hey, week one fantasy football is alive and well. The trash talking is heating up. Uh, I got the write up next week, so you better do well, or I'm coming for you. I'm probably going to be two and zero. Probably. <laughs> Probably. I'm playing you, actually. I'm yeah, actually we'll see what you. happens. I'm going to be talking so much trash the day before. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to just <laughs> hope you have the best time of your life Saturday and don't even look at a computer on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I like my chances now that this new information came out that I'm playing you this week. I don't think either of us realize I'm, I'm considering right to start AP again. That's how confident oh, I am. Oh, please do it. I, I support that decision 100%. Start him against the Patriots. I think that's who they play this week. 
Let oh, people, perfect. Yeah, let's go. Start him. Start him, even though he got, you know, there was a rookie running back that ran the ball more than him. I, I would love that. I, I, I was just completely baffled at what the hell they were trying to do <laughs> <laughs> when I saw that game. I was like, why? I mean, the guy, the guy had like nine snaps, six snaps yeah. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, he's the I don't, I don't get it. contract, but George... Best of luck this weekend, tying the knot. We'll see you there. We're Thanks, gonna be Mitch. we're gonna be proud. We're gonna be you know giving you away. I might bring a couple of doves and just let them go at the ceremony. I like that. That's you know, good. We'll have to honor you in some some way, shape, or form, and and I might bring the equipment so I can get your post game thoughts immediately after the uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. after the vows and after uh, you know here comes the bride. You know, just your initial can you reaction. My, me saying my vows. <laughs> yeah, we can do a couple takes too. This isn't a live show, so you can just yell stop, and I'll just hit stop, and you can restart. So, but uh, this was fun. Thanks All right, well, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, thanks again, and uh, until next time, we'll be in touch. All right, sounds good. Money. That's gonna do it for today's money, Mitch effect. And I want to point out, I was off by like five days. Marin Cilic is actually a little younger. Five to six days to be exact. Then Juan Martin Del Potro. But still, born in 1988. And then is still at 29 now. Soon to be 29 for both these guys. That's the youngest grandson champion in tennis. It's hard to believe the veteran stronghold on the game. But thanks to George Pinozian. He's got a big wedding coming up this weekend. I will be there, I hope. He has a great day. I'm sure it will be lovely out in Glendale. But thanks to him. Thanks to Adam Musto. Thanks to Brian Nelson for supplying the logo. Tim Adams for supplying the beat. Find all the Money Mitch Effect episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect, and it will pop right up. Until next time, I'm Mitch Michaels. And, yes, there will be one more show this week. I don't want to forget that. we got to preview this big boxing match between Triple G, Granati Golovkin, and Canelo Alvarez. Big fight there, as well as some college football talk. Oh, those Buckeyes, geez. Don't make me uh, lose my mind here. I am Mitch Michaels. In all seriousness, thanks for listening. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Keep enjoying sports. I'll see you next time.